I'm Adam Pascarella, and welcome to the 17th episode of The Power of Bold. Hey, what's up, everybody? Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the podcast. As always, I'm extremely grateful that you've taken the time out of your schedule to listen as we explore topics in risk-taking, entrepreneurship, and bold living. So for this 17th episode of the podcast, we're going to go in a slightly different direction here. We have three really exciting interviews lined up for the next several episodes, so I'm really stoked to share those interviews with you. But before we get to that, we're going to take a brief step back for this episode and do something that we've done several times earlier on in the podcast. In several prior episodes, I've reviewed some books that have impacted me as I go on my journey as an entrepreneur. Some of those books were How to Get Rich by Felix Dennis, Contagious by Jonah Berger, and How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. We're going to continue this trend for this episode. It's just going to be me, and we're going to review a book that has offered me terrific insights and advice on building strong, meaningful relationships, not only in my personal life, but my professional life as well. That book is Never Eat Alone, and it's by Keith Ferrazzi. So what I'm going to do for this episode is give some overall impressions of Ferrazzi and his book, and then describe the top five insights that I gathered from Never Eat Alone. Granted, Never Eat Alone is an older book but it presents timeless advice not only for entrepreneurs, but any worker that wishes to achieve their goals or expand their network. Okay, with that out of the way, let's get started. So let's travel back to the second episode of the podcast. The theme of the episode was networking, specifically whether it's worth your time and money to attend networking events. The answer was somewhat unclear, and I provided some tips on how to maximize your time at networking events should you decide to attend. If you'd like to review my tips, I'd encourage you to download that episode and review the show notes on thepowerofbold.com. But in that episode, I briefly mentioned comments from Keith Ferrazzi, the author of the book we're reviewing in this episode. In the book, Ferrazzi is vehemently against networking events and he sets the stage for who we often encounter at networking events. The typical person at a networking event, Ferrazzi says, is the man or woman with a martini in one hand, business cards in the other, and a pre-rehearsed elevator pitch always at the ready. He or she is a schmooze artist, eyes darting at every event in a constant search for a bigger fish to fry. He or she is the insincere, ruthlessly ambitious glad-hander you don't want to become. Now, as a person that has attended many networking events in New York City, Ferrazzi's description spoke to me, and it was just one of the many insights I gained from Never Eat Alone. In a world where relationships matter more and more, Ferrazzi offers really solid tips on how to build great relationships which will last. This is really important. As many of you know, I currently live in New York City, When you first speak with non-New Yorkers who are unfamiliar with the city, they often think that it's pretty easy to meet people and build relationships with others in the city. Surprisingly, I haven't found this to be the case. Sure, there are many networking events and meetups on virtually any subject every night, 
And sure, you may have some interesting conversations with people that attend, and may pass out your business card to people you meet. But that said, building long-term, solid relationships with people you meet at these events and meetups is extremely difficult. Whether it's because you and the other person are too busy to reconnect, or for whatever other reason. So backing away from networking events themselves, Farazi's overall theme of the book is on building quality relationships that will last. It's such a simple idea, but it's difficult to pull off in the real world. But it's absolutely critical. Starting from the first chapter of the book, where he argues that self-help is actually a misnomer, Farazi stresses that it's essentially impossible to achieve our goals without help from others. And throughout the book, Farazi hits on this theme and provides actionable tips on how we can create new relationships with strangers, strengthen relationships with acquaintances, and protect strong relationships with friends. We can think of Farazi's book more as a toolkit than a straight narrative. And because of this, I often return to Never Eat Alone when I need guidance on building out my network. I've even relied on this book when developing strategies to reach out to potential guests of the podcast. No matter what you're doing right now, whether you're content in your job or you are hungry for what's next, I'm sure that there are some nuggets of wisdom in this book that can help you reach your goals, whatever they are. One of the main advantages of the book is that it tends to avoid any quick and dirty hacks. He doesn't try to offer tips to manipulate another person or anything like that, so you can get what you want. Building meaningful relationships is a two-way street. It takes time. But by putting in the hard work and staying with it, we ultimately develop stronger relationships than if we were simply handing off our business card at a cocktail party or offering a big ask at a post-networking coffee meeting. So the book is roughly 300 pages and delves into topics like how to become a more effective cold caller, building and broadcasting your brand, how to be more interesting, getting close to power, and, of course, the importance of never eating alone. It's an easy read and could be especially nice if you prefer listening to audiobooks. Just to sum it up, I'd highly recommend that you check out the book. It can be life-changing, so long as you take his advice and put it into action. Taking action is something that I've stressed since I started this podcast, and I'm going to continue doing it until I finish. So with that said, take a look at the book, put his advice into action, and see what happens. Okay, so those are my general impressions about the book. But before we talk about my top five insights from Never Eat Alone, I just wanted to spend a few seconds giving you some context about Farazi himself. He grew up in southwestern Pennsylvania and was raised in a working-class family. As a child, he caddied at a local country club, and he says that he started becoming interested in the qualities that make people succeed. He discovered that people he caddied for would help each other, whether it was finding jobs for each other or their children, or investing time and money in each other's ideas. He says he began to thus understand the incredible power of relationships, and that real networking was about finding ways to make other people more successful. That said, Farazi began to befriend some of his clients, and developed a healthy group of mentors. By giving to his mentors first, he eventually leveraged his intelligence and ability to connect with others, to become an undergraduate student at Yale University and a student at Harvard Business School. After Harvard, he began work at Deloitte, starting as an entry-level analyst and working his way up to becoming Deloitte's chief marketing officer. After some time at Deloitte, 
he started working at Starwood Hotels and Resorts, where he became the youngest chief marketing officer in the Fortune 500. Then, he became CEO of a startup video game company called Yaya, which was backed by infamous investor Michael Milken. Now, Farazi is the CEO of Farazi Greenlight, which provides strategic business and relationship management consulting services. In addition to publishing Never Eat Alone in 2005, Farazi is the author of Who's Got Your Back, which was published in 2009. Who's Got Your Back expands on the themes discussed in Never Eat Alone. That said, in this episode, we're going to solely discuss Never Eat Alone. Okay, that's some background on Keith Farazi. He's got an interesting story, and he provides vignettes from his life throughout the book. However, from here, we're going to discuss my top five insights from Never Eat Alone. These insights aren't necessarily in order of importance. Rather, they are ordered according to their respective position in the book. Let's get into it. So like I said, this book is chock full of advice and insights about building relationships. And to start off, we're going to discuss one of the most important lessons from Farazi's book. That is, don't keep score. It's chapter 2 of the book, and it is placed early on because, in Farazi's mind, it's such an important insight. The secret to success, he often tells students, is generosity. He says that he was afforded some of the best educational opportunities almost purely through the generosity of others. That said, Farazi says there's more to this insight. The hard part is that you have to be more than willing to accept generosity. Often, you have to go out and ask for it. Farazi emphasizes that most people have had to reach out to get help landing a job or job interview, but most people do it reluctantly. It feels somewhat slimy, and most people are reluctant to ask. But Farazi says until you're as willing to ask for help as you are to give help, you're only working half the equation. In his mind, connecting is about giving and receiving. And I sometimes fall into this trap as well, as it seems so much easier to give to others than ask for help. Asking for help puts us in a vulnerable position, so pride may be at stake as well. But even if we get beyond this hurdle and ask for help, or if someone else offers to help, many people, including me, sometimes turn down favors because we feel like we can't pay the person back. If you've read Robert Caldini's book Influence, this is a prime example of the power of reciprocity. Farazi actually says he becomes furious if a person turns down a favor because he or she doesn't think they can pay the person back. He argues that a network functions precisely because there's recognition of mutual need. The majority of one percenters arrived where they are, according to Farazi, because they use the power of their network of contacts and friends to arrive at their present station. So in order to follow these one percenters, Farazi says we first have to stop keeping score. The more people we help, the more help we'll have, and the more help we'll have helping others. The more people who have access and use your network, the more valuable it becomes. He actually compares our networks to the internet. Work life today isn't dog-eat-dog, and we have to rely on our networks more than the companies that we work for. I like one story that Farazi shared in this chapter. Earlier in his career, he was trying to break into the entertainment industry. He was working at Deloitte and wanted a job in Hollywood, so he contacted a best friend from college 
and asked him if he knew anyone in the entertainment industry. His friend directed him to an entrepreneur doing some creative deals in Hollywood. When Farazi went to lunch with that entrepreneur, he told the entrepreneur that he wanted to transition into the entertainment industry, and whether he knew of anyone that could lend helpful advice. The entrepreneur said yes, but he refused to arrange a quick introduction. He said he couldn't arrange the meeting, since he will likely need some help from his contact in the future, and that he wasn't interested in using the equity with that individual to help Farazi or anyone else. Farazi didn't understand why the entrepreneur refused, and still doesn't. He says the entrepreneur thought of relationships as finite, while Farazi thinks of them like muscles. Simply put, the more you work them, the stronger they become. The question we should really be asking, Farazi says, isn't how can you help me, but rather, how can I help you? He references the story of his former high school headmaster, who did adopt this attitude, and it has paid off in spades for him and Farazi. It's a pretty easy concept to understand, and while we're obviously always thinking about our own goals and priorities, relationships are built on generosity. By first helping others, you're putting yourself in a position to receive help, whether it's from the person you initially helped or a person in that person's network. I think the key word is patience. It's easy to seek instant gratification and be that obnoxious person that goes overboard and asks for everything. But by having this patient attitude, you'll be setting yourself up for the long run. So ultimately, these ideas of not keeping score and the importance of generosity really work well together. As Farazi says, give your time, money, and expertise to your community of friends and acquaintances. While it may sometimes feel like you're giving away too much, rest assured that everything works out in the end. You may need to be assertive and ask for help when you need it, but it's okay since we should be ignoring the score in the first place. Your network, no matter how big or small, is there for a reason. View people as humans rather than pieces on a chessboard. Leverage your network and create value for both you and the people in your network. So once again, the first insight from the book is don't keep score. The second key insight from the book is another thing that we may inherently recognize, yet it's worth hearing again from a super-connected networker like Farazi. That insight is the following. Build your network before you need it. Again, super easy. But it's strange how people tend to ignore this advice. This is especially true if you've been in a job for some time. You may have been really excited about your gig when you first started, and that excitement may have stuck around for a few months. But then maybe you may have gotten comfortable in your current job, somewhat going through the motions and trying to escape the office early so you can work on other things. That said, there may come a time when you want to change jobs, or even change industries, yet general antipathy toward your job or career has left your network a bit stale. This is the exact situation that Farazi warns against. We want our networks to be healthy and robust before we need to actually rely on them. To illustrate this, Farazi mentions the story of a 20-something man who was introduced to him. The man worked in public relations and wanted to start his own PR business. His plan was to work his way up in his current company where he can afford to leave, and once he did, he would incorporate, find office space, and start searching for his first clients. The 20-something didn't want to start meeting potential clients until he could present himself as a credible PR person with his own firm. 
Ferrazzi was blunt with his criticism. He said the man had it totally backwards, and that he was setting himself up for failure. Instead of taking the leap and then getting situated, Ferrazzi recommended that the man start finding future clients today. And even more importantly, he should get to know these people as friends, not potential customers. To address his credibility problem, Ferrazzi recommended that the man offer his services for free, at least initially. I think that this advice is fairly spot on, especially for those of us who want to enter a new industry where we don't have a long track record, or start a side business that will turn into a larger business. Because we can't necessarily prove ourselves on merit, we're going to need relationships and people to help us make the transition. By doing free work for others, after our main gig of course, we develop a growing circle of people who see our work and believe in us. And once we get our first paying client out of our network, we can ask for further referrals, and it's off to the races. The sooner that you can start building strong, meaningful relationships, the better, especially if there comes a time in the future when you need to tap into your network. In this chapter of the book, Chapter 4, Farazi makes another key point that people forget. Too often, he says, we get caught up efficiently doing ineffective things, focusing solely on the work that will get us through the day. I think it's such an easy thing to do. All of us are busy enough as it is, and I'm just talking about our work lives. We may be married, have children, or have other family or social commitments. But still, Farazi advises that the idea isn't to find yourself another environment literally tomorrow, but rather to constantly create the environment and community you want for yourself, no matter what may occur. This echoes Scott Adams' ideas of systems over goals, which we reviewed in episode 9 of the podcast. And in addition, by paying attention to the first insight, specifically being generous and not keeping score, we can build our networks to be healthy and robust before we need to rely on them. My favorite part of this chapter is when Farazi suggests certain steps to create your ideal community that can further your career. You can create a company-approved project that will force you to learn new skills and introduce you to new people in your company. You can take on leadership positions and hobbies and outside organizations that interest you. You can join your local alumni club and spend time with people who are doing the jobs you'd like to be doing. You can even enroll in a class on a subject that relates to the job you're doing now or a job you see yourself doing in the future. Or you could even start by asking friends and family for introductions to people who you would like to be in your network. All of these suggestions are great, and they are similar to the suggestions I provided in the first episode, which was titled How to Break Out of a Slump. The ultimate point is to shake things up and go beyond your traditional routine and responsibilities in order to A. Learn something new, and B. Meet other people. As a testament to his writings, I'm actually doing this now, having joined on to be an alumni consultant with the University of Pennsylvania's PennPAC. Whatever passion you have, the suggestions I mentioned will help you meet new people. And as Farazi says, the law of probability ensures that the more new people you know, the more opportunities will come your way, and the more help you'll get at critical junctures in your career. So going forward, even if you aren't considering a career move or other change, start building that ideal network today. There are opportunities around you. You just need to break free of inertia and start putting yourself out there. 
This is such an important exercise. As Farazi says, it's important to start planting the seeds in this networking garden now so that you can give them sufficient time to grow. So once again, the second insight from the book is build your network before you need it. Okay, let's move on to a third important insight from the book. This is one that I spoke about in our second episode about networking events, but it's so important that I want to stress it again. It is the importance of following up and pinging new contacts. Farazi devotes two chapters to these ideas. Chapter 13 is called Follow Up or Fail, and chapter 20 is titled Pinging All the Time. As you can guess, the underlying thesis behind these two chapters is that it is up to us to follow up and nurture relationships when they're in their most fragile state. So many people fail to follow up, and this causes potentially great relationships to flounder. It's funny, but Farazi puts it in all caps. Follow-up is the key to success in any field. Good follow-up alone, according to Farazi, elevates you above 95% of your peers. It increases the odds that your new acquaintance, who is undoubtedly busy, remembers your name, and it lays the groundwork for future meetings with this person. The follow-up can be anything, but most of the time it's a simple email, letter, or card. When I saw this, I immediately thought of Guy Spear, the founder of Aquamarine Capital and value investor who makes an effort to write several handwritten thank you notes per day to people that he has met. He's been doing this for years, and he's built up quite a network. I've tried to follow his lead on this front, but admittedly, you have to stay super disciplined to pull it off. Anyway, Farazi recommends that we follow up 12 to 24 hours after we meet an acquaintance, and I tend to agree with that. The follow-up email can be as simple as, it was a pleasure meeting you, we must keep in touch, but I often like to include some personal topic that we discussed. Because of this, I personally try to take notes of topics discussed after I meet someone, but again, this is a tough habit to maintain. Anyway, after this initial email, Farazi sets a calendar reminder to ping this new acquaintance in one month just to keep in touch. Again, this is a wise and useful strategy, and the more automated, the better. Especially in those early interactions, Farazi recommends that you try to set up a follow-up coffee meeting that you should try to get in writing. That way, when the time comes, you can call or contact that person with the force of his or her email commitment in writing behind you. And here's an important point. In these early interactions, as I explained in the first insight, you should be trying to explain what you might be able to do for them, rather than reminding them of what they can do for you. The whole objective is to provide value, and you must be sincere in your effort to do so. If an in-person meeting isn't in the cards for the next several weeks, you can always think about sending the contact relevant articles in his or her field. It shows that you're thinking about them and the problems that they may be facing in their job. So once you get beyond the initial meetings, you may have developed a fairly close relationship with this person. It's easy to fall into our routines and divert attention away from our newly formed friendships. That's where pinging comes in. Pinging, as you likely know, involves quick, casual greetings to stay in touch with someone. Farazi mentions that we're overloaded with information, and that repetition is the key to breaking through this flood of information. Farazi has a pretty intense process he's developed to ping contacts. 
He says you have to be on your relationship management game 24-7-365. He has certain rules of thumb about the number of times you should ping someone, depending on the status of the relationship, and I'll link to them in the show notes. While you clearly don't want to be annoying, you want to make sure that your target doesn't forget about you and the value that you can provide to them. The bottom line is that you need a constant combination of email, phone call, and face-to-face encounters to create solid relationships with someone you have just met. It's not an easy task, and you can go crazy with this, developing spreadsheets that organize when you should contact a specific person and in what manner. If you want to do this, go for it. You could even develop your own personal email list, where you can ping subscribers to your list as often as you like. I've seen a good number of people do this successfully. The point is that you need to find the time and put in the effort to maintain your relationships. When you do so, try to provide value and convey that you are genuinely interested in this person's life and objectives. So that's the third insight. Don't forget to follow up and ping new acquaintances. Okay, we're doing great. The fourth insight is something that I've thought of for a while, but haven't exactly put into practice yet. Rereading Never Eat Alone reminded me of its value and the fact that many of us should be doing it. That is, holding dinner parties to create strong friendships. Technically, Farazi titles this chapter, Chapter 21, Find Anchor Tenants and Feed Them. But the point is that there is power in throwing dinner parties. They can create wonderful memories and simultaneously strengthen relationships. He believes in dinner parties so much that he says that his strongest links have been forged at the table. Now, back at Harvard Business School, Farazi used to hold dinner parties in his one-bedroom apartment, where he would invite anywhere from 4 to 15 guests, which ranged from professors, students, Boston locals, and even random people he met in line at the grocery store. Before throwing these dinner parties, he would try to invite a good mix of people that could expand his social horizons while receiving a solid reputation that would keep people coming back. While doing this, he invented this concept of the anchor tenant, which is a well-connected individual who is a bridge to people outside his or her group of friends. The idea is by inviting the anchor tenant, the anchor tenant will eventually refer you to people outside of your normal scope, and those people, with their new and unique perspectives, would attend future dinners. Landing the anchor tenant allows you to reach out beyond your circle in subsequent invitations and pull in people who wouldn't otherwise attend. He has found journalists, artists, and actors to be terrific anchor guests. You may not know any of them in your lives, and that's okay. The goal is to dine with guests in a friendly, easygoing environment. At first, the guests may only be your friends, but your network will expand if you put on good enough dinners. And just to be clear, Farazi says that anyone can throw a dinner party. You don't need much to get started. It's more about fun and the conversation and connections being made than the quality of the food or drink. For further guidance, Farazi provides seven rules to help us get started. They are create a theme, use invitations, don't be a kitchen slave, create atmosphere, forget being formal, don't seat couples together, and relax. The rules are pretty self-explanatory, but if you'd like further explanation, I'd suggest you pick up the book. 
If you're thinking of trying to host a dinner party yourself, I'd suggest you also look up the story of John Levy in New York City. He is a human behavior scientist who started the well-known Influencers Dinners, where renowned individuals attend parties organized by John. Some twists are that the guest list is kept secret, guests don't know one another beforehand, guests aren't asked to discuss their work or achievements, all attendees prepare a simple meal, and once seated at the table, all attendees take turns guessing their fellow guest professions. It's an interesting concept, and these influencers' dinners have been profiled in the New York Times and other publications. Granted, we may not have the network or resources to throw parties like this, but ultimately, the point is to get started. Hosting dinners is a great way to build really close relationships with friends and acquaintances. While, again, it takes work to organize and host these events, the rewards could be massive down the road. So that's the fourth insight. Find anchor tenants and host dinner parties. So we reached the final insight that I've chosen from the book. Thanks for sticking with me so far. The final thing I wanted to discuss from Farazi's book is chapter 22, which is titled Be Interesting. Being interesting is obviously important in building and maintaining relationships. Our time is limited, and no one wants to spend time with a person that's boring us to death. Farazi says that virtually everyone new we meet in a situation is asking a variation of this question. Would I want to spend an hour eating lunch with this person? This is also known as the airport question, as in, would I be fine being stuck in an airport with this person for an extended period of time? So what happens if you don't feel like you're interesting? While I maybe would disagree with your answer, Farazi provides tips on ways that we can distinguish ourselves from others. As a starting point, getting an understanding of the news and current events can help. Having an expanded view of the world can signal to others that you can make them and their companies better. But beyond this, I really like his next piece of advice. Have a unique point of view. The message that you telegraph makes your brand unique, rather than the sheer amount of knowledge that you may have. If you genuinely have a unique opinion compared to most of the crowd, consider sharing it, so long as it is a well-thought-out point of view. Being known for something is better than just being known. And just to clarify, having a unique point of view doesn't mean having a controversial point of view. It could mean having some specialized knowledge outside your industry, meaning that you can be the person that provides some value to a new acquaintance. With more and more companies today looking for diversity of thought among their employees, your unique stance on a topic or topics could be your competitive advantage, as you can be the connector that uses your expertise to develop new ideas in your industry. So in order to have a unique point of view, you should strive to be an expert at whatever it is. Farazi provides 10 tips to help us become experts. They are, first, get out in front and analyze the trends and opportunities on the cutting edge. Second, ask seemingly stupid questions. Third, know yourself and your talents. Fourth, always learn. Fifth, stay healthy. Sixth, expose yourself to unusual experiences. Seventh, don't get discouraged. Eighth, know the new technology. Ninth, develop a niche. And tenth, follow the money. Again, out of this list, 
The tips tend to be self-evident, but I especially like analyzing cutting-edge trends and developing a niche. If you're 20 or 30-something, you have an immense opportunity at your fingertips to leverage your understanding of technology and new trends in order to develop a niche in your industry. By following your interests and becoming an expert in something, you'll become that much more interesting to future acquaintances. You stick out and are seen as a potential source of value to them. By being known as that person that knows X or Y, you're stacking the odds in your favor of expanding your future network. So that's the fifth insight from the book. Be interesting. Now, just to wrap up, thanks for joining me on a quick tour of Keith Ferrazzi's Never Eat Alone. As a reminder, the five large insights I tackled are don't keep score, build your network before you need it, follow up and ping new acquaintances, find anchor tenants and feed them, and be interesting. Those are just some of the more important insights that I identified from the book. Your list of five may be quite different. Nevertheless, the general idea is that building out our networks is increasingly important in 2018. No matter how high our goals, it's unlikely that we can accomplish them by ourselves, even if we have all of the requisite skills and talents. And beyond that, our journey may have some twists and turns that we don't anticipate. All of this and more is why it's so critical to build out our network. If you're currently satisfied with your network, that's great. Keep doing what you're doing and don't become too content. If you're not satisfied, that's okay too. The power is in your hands to make the necessary changes to repair and grow your network. No matter what, I'd recommend that you check out Never Eat Alone for more tips and tricks on the subject. Hopefully, it takes up permanent space in your bookshelf, as it does for me. That's it for this episode of The Power of Bold. We'd welcome you to get in touch with us by following us on Twitter or Facebook and visiting thepowerofbold.com. There, you'll find the show notes and transcript for this episode. And as always, we'd appreciate if you can leave a review for the show on iTunes. Thanks again for joining me this episode. Until next time, take care.